Well, welcome to the series, Conquering Impossibilities, and there's probably no greater challenge that needs to be conquered than the challenge of fatherlessness in America. Today, we hear about all the heroes on the front lines, those who are involved in healthcare, peacekeepers, those who are involved in the armed forces, and other places defending our country, and surely they're heroes. But today, I want to acknowledge some heroes that don't get the proper accolades, honor, and love that they deserve. They're called fathers. You may clap right there. They're called fathers. You see, you are a male when you're born, but you only become a man when you choose to accept the responsibilities God's given you. Another way to say it is, any male can make a child, but it takes a real man to be a father. You're a male by birth, but you become a man by choice. Today, there is a need for men in our country. There's a need for men in our community, and there's a need for men in this church and in this house. And so today, we want to honor the fathers that are here. As a father, you either sacrifice for your children or you sacrifice your children. It's pretty simple. For many of you, like me, the, the role of father was played in your life by someone who was not your biological father. Maybe it was a grandfather, or an uncle, or, or one of your best friends, his dad. Or maybe it was a coach, or maybe it was even a pastor. We often hear of irresponsible men who left their families and walked away from the, the responsibilities that God entrusted to them. But we don't hear enough about the fathers that stayed, the fathers that refused to leave when the times got tough, the fathers that even after they made a mistake, maybe after a divorce or something, were willing to go back, own up, and embrace the role of being the man that God called them to be so they could get that title that we love and cherish, Dad. Pops, Papa, Big D, or in my case, El Macho Muchacho. <laughs> Why is this such a big deal? 2014 to 2018, a survey was done that revealed at that moment, 75% of African-American homes were headed up by a single parent, most often a woman. 60% of Hispanic homes were headed up by a single parent, most often a woman. 40% of white families were headed up by a single parent, most often a woman. Why is this so significant? Because a child raised without a father is four times greater risk of poverty, more likely to have behavioral problems, twice as risk for mortality, more likely to go to prison, more likely to commit a crime, seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teenager, more likely to face abuse and neglect more likely to experience drugs and alcohol, twice as likely to suffer from childhood obesity, and twice as likely to drop out of high school. You say, Pastor, that, that's, a big, that's a big deal. It is. God started with a man, and in order for our home and our community and our country to change and become what God always intended it to be in his word, it's got to begin with men, men that are fathers, the same way he started in the garden. So today we want to honor those men who've accepted that holy calling of being father. Fathers are kind of like cars. Some are bigger and some are smaller. 
Some are different colors, some are faster, and some are slower. But regardless of what they are, if you have a father that stayed, thank God you had one. We want to celebrate the dads who stayed, the men who stepped in to be daddy when someone else couldn't stay or someone else wouldn't stay. Today, we want to fight for the role of fathers and celebrate the fathers and in their lives who have been an example that they tried to receive or maybe you tried to become something that you never received yourself or maybe your daddy's gone on to be with his heavenly father and you are still attempting to follow that amazing example that he had. Today, I want to talk to you about being a UFC dad, an ultimate father. Roman gladiators were the first to use the UFC cage fighter mentality. Fighters proved their manhood and masculinity by who and what they had conquered and killed. Imagine that. Your value is added by what you destroy instead of what you build, what you kill instead of what and who you live for. At that time in Rome, it could be described with four headlines. It was oversexed, overtaxed, over-entertained, and over-violent. Sound familiar? Heroes were destroyers. They were heroes because of their brute strength, but they were spiritual and moral wimps. Their manhood was defined by what they had, who they had conquered, and how physically strong they were. Does that sound familiar to today? Man was created by God to be a giver and a protector. Look at Genesis 2, 15. It says, And the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to do what? Tend it and to keep it. You see, as a man, my job, as a father, my job, as a husband, my job is to tend and to keep and to love and to protect. It's to put those you love before yourself. So what is a UFC dad, pastor? What is a UFC dad? What a better way to find out from someone who is known as the greatest fighter of the Old Testament. At 14 years old, he actually had the greatest day of any teenager in history. He woke up at 14 and was sent by his dad to go give his brothers some sandwiches. And when he arrived at the battle... He arrived only to see the children of Israel on one large mountain on this side and to see all the Philistines on one large mountain on the other side. And he just happened to walk up at the time of day when their great giant, who was nine foot tall, would walk down into the lower part of the valleys and he would begin to scream and curse and defy God and the armies of God. Now, it's interesting, that day that Goliath came down, he didn't say anything different than he said the day before. The difference is, there was one person there that heard it that wasn't there before. How do things change? How do families change? They change because there are men that stop, step in the room and stop and go, I now hear something and I'm willing to do something about it. That day, David heard what his brothers had heard for days. And in just a moment, he asked a few simple questions that 
every teenager would have been happy to hear. He said, hey, what would happen to the person if somebody was by chance to go and fight this future NBA all-star? They gave him a couple of answers. One answer was his father will never have to pay taxes again. Hey, I got six children. I'll give up one of them if I don't ever have to pay taxes again. Come on. And the second thing that he said is he gets to marry the king's daughter. She's really hot. I've been following her on TikTok. Her name is Michael. She's a babe. And with that, that was all he needed. He'd been the outcast of his family. Theologians tell us that most likely he was born out of an immoral relationship. And he would write in the book of Psalms, in sin and iniquity did my mother conceive me. And now... He has the opportunity to redeem his family from all taxes and to get the girl too. This must be a Hallmark movie. (laughs) And he walks down and in just a moment, this obscure, unknown shepherd boy became the talk of all of Israel. And I love to say it like this. What walked down there was a prepubescent 14-year-old. How many of you ever had a boy in your home, raise your hand. You remember when they were walking through puberty? Hey, mom, how are you? And he comes walking down and he stands before Goliath and there standing before him is this nine foot behemoth of a man and he begins to mock David. What am I, a dog that they sent to flee out? And he lifted up the front of his armor, just like this. And when he did, David said, that's all I need. And in one moment, this poor, young, prepubescent boy goes from being totally obscure to becoming the king's son-in-law and the great hero who even when Jesus would come thousands of years later, Jesus would be acknowledged by his name, Jesus, descendant or son of David. When he hit Goliath and he knocked him out, he took his sword, he cut his head off, and he walked up. He had his armor in one hand and his sword in his head in the other one. And what walked down there was a prepubescent boy, but what came out of there is a man. Do you know why? Because you're not a man by age. You're a man by accepting responsibility and maturity and being willing to slay the giants that your fathers and grandfathers and people that gone before you would not slay. David builds the kingdom of God to what even now they are trying to regain the borders of in Israel. He brings it to its height in 40 years. He unites all of the tribes together. It becomes the greatest king in the history of Israel until Jesus would come, the king of kings. David is now dying. But what his son is about to inherit is altogether different than what he inherited and where he started. How many of you here started off broke? Raise your hand. How many of you were raised poor like me? How many of you weren't poor? You were poor. You couldn't even afford the other two letters. Raise your hand. (laughs) I'm with you. But you're living in Mandeville. (laughs) You live up by the sanctuary. (laughs) You live in the nice places of Baton Rouge. Yeah. You're up and now things have changed for you. Your life has changed 
dramatically. And how many of you know it's altogether different to give your children what you had versus starting where you started? David is about to leave it all to his son. And he is about to give him a charge and tell him five things that will cause him to be the king, the leader, the husband, and the father that God wants him to be. Here the conversation is David's dying, Solomon his son who will take over is at his bedside, and here's the conversation. 1 Kings 2, 1 through 3. Now the days of David drew near that he should die. And he charged Solomon, his son, saying, read this with me, I go the way of all the earth. So, oh, that was a weak be strong. Let's try that one more time. This is Father's Day, not Mother's Day. All right, let's go. All right. And be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. How do you do that? By keeping charge of the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commands, his judgment and his testimonies, and it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you go. Isn't that interesting? The boy who was born poor and obscure discovered that prosperity came from walking with God and obedience to his word. And he's now telling his prosperous son, if you don't watch it, if you don't watch it, it can escape you, but if you will follow the same principles that I did that took me from nothing to everything, then God will help sustain you. What is he telling him when he says these words, I go the way of all the earth? I believe the first thing that he was telling him is, Solomon, my son, realize that life is a temporary assignment with eternal consequences. Life is a temporary assignment with eternal consequences. What was he really saying to his son? He was saying, son, you're an eternal spiritual being having a temporary physical experience on earth. I was young like you. I was strong like you. I was good looking like you. And now I'm old and I'm dying and I am going to my reward. And I realize it's not about this life. Fathers, one of the greatest gifts you can ever share with your children is not the money you leave them, but it's an eternal perspective that God has given you over the years of the wisdom that you've learned and that you've gained. I spoke to a young man the other day, and he goes, well, pastor, thank you. That's really good. I said, you're welcome. It cost me years in tears. I just gave it to you in 30 minutes. It cost me 50 years. Life is a temporary assignment with eternal consequences. There are lies you believe when you're young and rich. Come on. I'm talking to primarily rich white people. Don't look at me like that. Here we go. There are lies you believe. You know what those lies you believe is when you're young and especially, I'm going to live forever. I'm going to live forever. In Acadiana, in the last six months, in a three-month period, we did nine fentanyl overdose funerals. Primarily all wealthy, white, affluent children from River Ranch and homes nicer. It's a lie. You are not going to live forever. Here's the other lie that you believe. I'm all that and a bag of chips with some swag. 
I, I, I hate to tell you this, but there's some older folks sitting around here. Ask them what they used to think they were back in the day. Come on, you remember bell bottoms? Come on, you remember Jardash jeans? Let's go. Here's the last thing. I'm making choices that won't affect me in my future. All of those are lies. All of us remember in the late 90s when it's hard to believe with the current culture that this was even a controversy when a great NBA basketball star, now Hall of Famer and commentator, Charles Barkley was being challenged because of his emotional outburst and the way that he was uh, speaking in front of cameras and what he was doing off the court. And they said, don't you realize you're a role model? How many remember what he said? He said, I'm not a role model. Let me say something to every person here, especially the men. Everybody's a role model. It's just one question. Are you a good one or are you a bad one? Someone is going to follow in your footsteps. Here's the second thing he said to him. Be strong and prove yourself a man. Be strong and prove yourself a man. You prove your manhood by obedience to God. Real manhood is proven by obedience to God in his word. Only a man, a strong man of God can say yes to God and no to my flesh when I'm tempted to double click. Hold it. Can I say that in church? To say no to porn, to say no to a text, to say no to I'm watching on the screen and something pops up that I didn't even put there. Do, do they have the internet in Mandeville? <laughs> Just wanted to be sure. Only a real man can say no when he is tempted. Can I tell you this? Listen, man. Remember when you were poor, how few temptations there were until you got money? Here's what a strong man of God can say no to his BC friends when they're weak. You know who the BC friends were? How many remember your BC friends? You know, drunk Donald and nasty Nikki who used to call you, girl, what are you doing? It's Friday night. Let's go. Only a strong man can say no to the failures of his past to keep them like magnets from drawing them to be a failure in the future. Real manhood is putting God and your wife and children first and sacrificing for them instead of sacrificing them on the altar of your pleasure and your desire for more. Here's the third thing that he said. To keep charge of the Lord your God to walk. It takes courage to walk with God and to stay on the path. The more I walk with God and the more I align myself to his word. I was made by the word of God. God breathed into the dust of the earth and man became a living being. And every time I'm exposed to it, every time I read it, every time I hear it, every time I sing it, every time I impart and meditate on it, I become more of the man God wants me to be. There's no blue pill 
or steroid pill that you can take that'll give you spiritual courage to walk on the path of righteousness. Oh, there is. It's called the gospel. <laughs> I'm talking about the cross. I'm talking about the road less traveled. I'm talking about the path of the Savior. I'm talking about self-denial and surrender to the Father that loves us so much that when we trust him, he always does what's best for us and generations to come through us. The fourth thing he says is, and keep his statutes, judgments, and testimony. You know what he's saying? He's saying, son, listen, don't forget what God did for you, daddy. Don't forget what God did for me. Don't forget my testimony. It will remind you of what God can do for you. What is David telling Solomon? If you keep God's commandments, the God and his commandments will keep you. That's what he's telling him. Don't relive my mistakes, Solomon. Learn from them. Build around them, not on them. And when you fail, because sometimes you will, son, fail forward. Don't stop. If you don't quit, you win. And then number five, he says, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. What is David saying? Son, what God blessed in me, he will bless in you. The blessing of God will not come on your life because of me, but if you follow God like me, the blessing of God and the same God will be with you and bless you. I've uh, had six children move out of my home over the years. Uh, I, I, I know that there's two graduations at every parent looks forward to. There's high school and then there's college. That's not the ones I'm talking about. It's when they graduate from the house. That's one graduation. Come on, parents. Let me hear it. Okay. But here's the best one. When they graduate out of your pocket. Come on. Let me hear that one. When they graduate out of your pocket. That, that's that, I see some, some kids going, oh, this is false doctrine. <laughs> what are you talking about, pastor? You see the well, one of the conversations I've had with my children when they walked out, especially a couple, couple of them when they, they didn't leave in a good way, I ushered them to their destiny. At our Savior's Church, we don't fire people. We usher them to their destiny. So I was ushering them to their destiny. And, and, and I would have this serious conversation with them when they were in that state of mind. And here's what I would say. You're about to get the greatest revelation of your whole life. And they go, really? Yeah. It, no, it's not your insurance payment and your car. No, that's a revelation you're going to get to. It's not that you can't talk unless you pay for the phone. That's another revelation that's coming. Okay, but, but here's the revelation. You're about to find out if you're blessed or if you've been living in a house that has been blessed by the God that is loved and cherished in this house. You know what my prayer is for my children when they leave? That they're seeking God and God's not having to seek them. If they're seeking God and that God doesn't have to seek them. He's saying to his son Solomon, the blessing of God on your life won't just become because you're king. Won't come just because I'm daddy, David, that followed God. Things are going to happen to you, son, that you don't foresee that only this word will carry you through. 
Men, there's no more ghosts, monsters, aliens, or vampires. Ghostbusters got exposed. It's time for us to fight for our faith. To prove your manhood by fighting for your faith and your family and your spiritual heritage. That's conquering impossibilities. A real gladiator's life is filled with commitment to God and to those you love. Constraint, knowing that my manhood is measured by what I put away, not by what I can do. Remember when you, I'm a man, I'm 18, I can do whatever I want. When my kids tell me that, mama told me I can't do whatever I want. I go, so what? I'm 60 and I pay for everything and I can't do what I want either. Shut up. I'm trying. Real men know that the greatest form of control there is, is not controlling others. It's self-control. It's self-control. Real men know that contentment is a gift from God to a grateful heart. It's a gift from God to a grateful heart. Hey, there's two ways to get more. One is to sacrifice everything you love to try to get it. And the other one is to be thankful for everything God's given you. Jesus took a little boy's lunch and he thanked God for it. And when he did, it started feeding thousands. Why would God give you more if you're not even grateful for what he's given you now? A real man fights for his family, for their faith for their future and for the godly heritage. Our nation is where it is today because men stop fighting for the right things. Because fathers began to be demeaned and dishonored. You say, but pastor, you, you, you don't really know how I grew up. No, I don't. But can I share something with you? It's not about how you grew up. It's about how you grow up. Look at me. You're only young once, but you could be immature forever. Today, can I share a little personal story with you that I think will speak to men, to fathers that are here? Because some of you have never had someone do what Jesus had done for him by the Father and what every good father does for a son. When Jesus was baptized, when he came up out of the water, God spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved and whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And in that moment, he claimed him. This is mine. Beloved son, he named him. And whom I'm well pleased, he blessed him. Some of the most affluent men and successful men that I've ever worked with in this state are still trying to to get claimed and named and blessed. And they think the next million will do it, the next deal will do it, the next upgrade in some area of their life will do it. Now you, you need a daddy. You, you need a daddy, a father, that loves you enough and is secure enough to know that by bestowing masculinity upon you, he's not robbing anything from himself. He's actually procuring the future of his posterity. 
Someone said it like this, the man who curses his father curses the preface of his own masculinity. Whether you like your dad or not, you look like him. Whether you want to be around him or not, there are attributes of you and me that are just like them. Some of you need someone to tell you you're loved, you're claimed, you're named, and you're blessed. Some of you need to be told you're a man of God. And no man was ever secure enough to tell you that. So can I share a little story with you? Okay, well, the thing says I have five minutes, so could I share it anyways? Okay, thank you very much. I, uh, I have five, six children, five boys, and uh, we, we always wanted a little girl, so Jacob Jr. was supposed to be Maria, and then Christian was supposed to be Maria, and then uh, Joseph was supposed to be Maria, and then Wesley was supposed to be Maria, and then Haddon, who's sitting up here, was supposed to be Maria. He's not Maria. <laughs> when, when, when he came out, tied to the umbilical cord was a large sign about this size, and it said, there ain't no Maria in here. And so I won't go through the story, but we ended up, God gave us a beautiful African-American girl. Her mom gave her to us at the front altar of the church when she was four and a half years old. Today she FaceTimed me. Hi, Daddy. I'm the first person to call you, huh? I go, no. Junior princess, the senior princess beat you. Mama just got through. I always tell her her mama wanted her, but I needed her. But, but in having boys, you know, there's always, always a football game. If you got five boys going on, there's a basketball game or a football game going on all the time. All the boys in the neighborhood are attracted to our house, and it was one of those days. Just one of those days of football games going on in the back, you know, and you can hear everything going on. Michelle and I are having coffee inside the house, and all this is happening in the backyard. We lived on about an acre, and, and all of a sudden... You hear, Aah! now, how many of you had several children? How many of you know there's different screams and what they mean? Like, like some, if you, you're a parent like me, you hear some screams, you go, that's not a broken bone. Might be a tooth, a sprain, no, that's not. I mean, you can tell different levels of screams. And, and this scream happened to be one of those something's broke screams. So I, I throw open the back door and, you know, kind of tall and mannish. Put out my deep, what's going on out here, boys? And I look over and, and Haddon is 10 years old and he's laying on the ground. And his brother, the victim Christian, is standing over him. And I said, well, what did, you, what did you do to him now? I didn't do anything. I didn't what, what He said you did. What did you? He didn't do it. I didn't do anything. What, what did you? Okay, what did you do? So I finally, I finally calm Haddon down, and I wipe his face, and I said, okay, what, what did he do? He said, he said I wasn't a football player. <laughs> he said you weren't a football player. Yeah! So he said, brother goes, look, I threw a pass to him. He dropped it because he said it was too hard, and I said, you're no football player. Started screaming. 
So I bring him inside and try to calm him down. And at that time, we walked into to a part of our house, and I'd been the chaplain for the Saints and worked with athletes. So we have this athletic room with Michael Jordan jerseys, autograph shack, shoe, all this, all the, you know, Ricky Williams and back then, Didgood, and all different quarterbacks and all that. So we have all that in there. And, and I'm calming him down, and I finally look at him. I go, look, look, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, son. Look, look at me. Christian told you you weren't a football player. Well, I'm going to tell you this. I've been his daddy all of his life. And do you know we've had five boys, and I prayed that God would give me one football player. Was, was Jacob a football player? <laughs> was Christian a football player? <laughs> okay. Was Joseph a football player? Definitely not. I was. You could go through all of them. And I go, and finally we got to you. And son, when we got to you and you started playing, we finally had a football player. And I said, and son, I want to tell you something. You are a football player. You look at me. I said, look at me. <laughs> You're a football player. <laughs> I said, no, wipe your face. Wipes his face. I said, I want you to say this with me. I'm a football player. I'm a football player. Say it, I'm a football player. I'm a football player. Say it louder. I'm a football player. Scream it. I'm a football player. Sometimes you need somebody who loves you enough to tell you who you really are when other people are screaming at the things that you Society is screaming fathers don't matter. Society is screaming men don't matter. Society is screaming you can leave and it doesn't matter. Society is screaming anybody can take the role. And society is also showing you what happens when fathers aren't fathers in a nation and in a country. So he was a football player, a great football player. Can, can, I, can I show you a picture? Let me show you a picture. That was the state championship that St. Thomas More, his high school won, where he was a quarterback. And I was on the sidelines before they took that picture. And when they won their first state championship, they've won several since then, what a joy to be able to run up and go, now, son, I actually told him he wanted to go to another school. I said, aren't you glad you listened to your daddy? And to be able to say, and I could have said it then and screamed at him then. I didn't, but I should have. You are a football player. Look at me, man. Look at me. You're a man of God. You're a man of God. You may have been labeled hard worker. You may have been labeled this or that. You may have been labeled by some addiction in your life or some quirk about you. But you are a man of God. You're a man of God. Now, I know some of you are going, Pastor, that, that's nice. But why are you, like, this is Father's Day. Why, I mean, do, do they pull you out of the bullpen? Do they just pull Mexicans out for things like Father's Day? I mean, what, 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 what is, why are you so passionate about this? My father was married five times. My grandfather was immoral to the last years of his life when he got saved and became a preacher. My great-grandfather ran off with Pancho Villa in Mexico. I have four sisters. They got pregnant 13, 14, and 15. My older brother was my hero. He was a drug dealer. 
Later, he came to faith. He's now gone to be with the Lord. But when I was 14 years old, a man came who had courage, who had strength, who not only raised his children, but he was willing to raise somebody else's. And he claimed my school for Jesus, and a thousand kids got saved, and I was one of them. I would be living in my mother's bar on 76th Canal in Houston. And he led me to Christ, and he loved me like his son, and he showed me how to be a husband and a father and a man. And for 10 years, I lived for him. And he'd look at me and he'd go, don't tell any more Mexican jokes. You're a man of God. If God didn't want you brown, he would have made you the best honky in the world. You're not. (laughs) You're a man of God. You're a man of God. You're ordained by God. You're blessed by God. And he named me and he claimed me and he blessed me. Can I show you a picture of my family? Let me show you a picture of my family. We just took this at the beach on the right, carrying on the legacy, Jacob Jr., El Macho Muchacho. (laughs) He's a professional musician in Nashville, building his testimony. Right next to him, from the right to the left, is Joseph. He's preaching at the Lafayette campus to about 2,000 people this morning. He's going to be taking over our largest campus. He pastors me. That's his beautiful wife, Rochelle. And that's the future. We call him John Wesley. Next to him is Alex, my beautiful daughter-in-law, who's married to Christian, the berater of Haddon as a child. And he pastors Valley Rise Church that he founded in Houston, Texas five years ago. Chris Hodges is his pastor. And then uh, next to him is Eli, my grandson, and then Finley, Kate, and baby Shiloh. And then next to them, that beautiful blonde woman is my princess of 41 years and 146 days. But who's counting? Of course, next to them, El Macho Muchacho. Nothing else needs to be said. And next to me is our beautiful Amberly Grace that God gave us when she was four and a half years old. And then Haddon is there on the end. My football player and now a preacher of the word of God and a Holy Ghost man of God. Do you know why that picture's here? Go to the next picture. The next picture. With the ark. Because that man right there, that's why. He loved me. He spoke life over me. He named me. He claimed me. And he blessed me. And showed me how to be a husband, a father, and a man, and a man of God. Next week, Haddon will be preaching for him at his church. Men, look at me. There is no greater title or honor than to be a father. And as a father and a man, there is no greater title than being a man of God. Would you bow your head with me right now? Heavenly Father, we are so incredibly grateful for your spirit. Holy Spirit, we thank you for every man that's here, regardless of where they are in their journey. We thank you that they chose on a Sunday morning, Father's Day, to honor you the real father. 
the real Father, the one who loves us, lives in us, and is overwhelmingly fascinated with us. Lord, I, I pray for men who never had a man that was secure enough in their life to tell them how amazing they were. To tell them how wonderful they were because of their own brokenness. They couldn't get beyond their own brokenness to speak life over the men that are in this room. And I say to those men, your father loves you. He is fascinated by you. You are amazing to him. You are the apple of his eye. He loves you and wants to lavish you with his presence. The greatest thing he can give you, his presence himself. And now with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask you a very simple question. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but I've never prayed to be born again. Pastor, what does that mean? Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he won't see the kingdom of heaven. Unless a man is born again, he won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. You become spiritually alive the moment you pray to be born again and by faith receive the righteousness of Jesus into your life. In the last 30 seconds, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus. I may have been christened or baptized, but I've never once prayed in my life to be born again. It only happens once, just like the day you were born. If that's you, then on the count of three, would you just lift your hand? I'm going to pray for you right where you are. If today you want to be the beginning of your spiritual journey of truly knowing this God that loves you so desperately. One, God brought you here. Two, nothing is ever an accident. And God has been waiting for this moment because of how desperately he loves you. He's been pursuing you. Three, if that's you, lift your hand high. I want to pray for you right where you are. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Now let's pray out loud, church, with every one of those folks that raise their hand. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a purpose in life, a place in heaven, and a relationship with my Father that loves me. Today, I turn away from sin and receive the righteousness of Jesus imparted to my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, what an amazing message today. I hope that God spoke to you some things just like he did to me. And whatever God's doing in your heart right now, I just want to encourage you to, to take a step. Maybe you need prayer from somebody. Maybe you have some things that you're thinking about that you need prayer for in your life. Why don't you click that button to engage with our chat host? They're ready to pray with you and to stand in faith with you, maybe for some impossibilities in your own life. Or maybe you're out there and you're committing your life to Jesus right now, maybe for the first time or, or recommitting your life to Christ. If that is you, we just want to say a big congratulations as a church. We really believe that's the best decision you could ever make. We're so proud of you, but we're also ready to walk with you on this journey. We don't believe that we're meant to do this thing alone. And so as a church, we want to come alongside you and really resource you as you're beginning your new life 
with Christ. So why don't you click that link in the chat room or text the word decision to the numbers 822-822 and we'd love to just follow up with you and help you as you're starting your new life with Christ. With that being said, our service is coming to a close, but we're so glad that you joined us for church this weekend. We're so glad that you're part of our church family and we can't wait to see you back here next weekend. Same time, same place. Love you guys and we'll see you soon.